welcome to the 4 for Friday podcast. I'm Will Robb. He's Michael Girdley. It is a new year. It is 2021. Uh, we have a new season of the 4, four for Friday podcast. It's season four. Michael, would you like to tell everybody a little bit about our format? Sure. Will and I get together every week and we ask each other four topics, uh, phrased as questions, and then we put it up on the internet. It's pretty great. That's pretty great. Uh, I'll fire into our first question. Should you up your game in the new year? Is this like a subtweet that you're pointing out the fact that we recorded an episode last week, but I didn't actually record it? Uh, I would say your game was down a little bit last week. <laughs> so, so the short answer is I wasted an hour and a half of everybody's time. Well, not everybody, not our listeners' time. They didn't have to spend any time. They were, well, probably, they were probably very disappointed that they didn't get to hear us talk, though. It's significant opportunity cost for them. Think about all the genius that they missed. We actually upped our game a little bit that we tried to argue about topics. Yeah. It didn't feel right, though. I think we're both too agreeable. So yes, one should up their game in the new year. But also, I think I went on a rant that I think it's kind of dumb that a whole year long, people are just kind of floating along. And then everybody pops up right around Christmas time and says, you know what? I really need to change the stuff that I should have changed all last year when I was eating bad, not exercising, not, not being nice to my family, all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't get it. Like, why not just, why save it all for once? Why not just go out and try to be a better you every day? Yeah, hold that position a little bit more just so I can pick at it. <laughs> uh, I think you should try to up the, your, your game in the new year. I mean, point taken about, it's just an arbitrary threshold. It's yeah. January 1st, 2021. It's not really that much different from the day before or the month before. Uh, but I think people like reference points and arbitrary thresholds to set goals around and goal setting is good. I do think if you have a New Year's resolution that you're thinking about in early December, go ahead and get started. Don't wait for January 1st to roll around. Uh, and this advice comes 15 days into the year. So if you, <laughs> if you had a re- New Year's resolution and you haven't started on it yet, get started. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't feel like you missed your chance. So when I was, uh, when I was working coaching at the CrossFit gym, which I had missed because it was just such a great study of human behavior. The first year I was coaching there, I was like, okay, like it would be me and all the hardcore people there, like working out every day during the holidays. And then I would like January 2nd rolled around and I was like, okay, here it comes. There's going to be a huge deluge of people like the the new year's resolution people are going to be in here working their butts off ready to lose those you know christmas 15 pounds and i talked to the owner and he's like oh no they won't be here till march (laughs) what his observation was is all the new year's resolution people who had procrastinated all year to get their butt in shape they rolled uh, in in march they rolled in in march so it took them two months to even start on their on their, uh, their goal of, of fixing their lives or turning around their level of fitness. And sure enough, like the week before spring break, it was like crazy busy. Yeah. See, I think March is the time to check in with yourself and see how you're doing on your, your goals so far. And yeah. you know, easy to start a, a new year's resolution, get three weeks into it and then kind of lose focus or, or forget about it. Yep. Well, and that's why I like my favorite time of the year to go to the gym is actually during the holidays when everybody's out partying because the only people there are just the hardcore lunatics, the people with really something, some serious screws loose in their brain and, I, and me. 
which, you know, may tell you something about my brain, but yeah, that's my favorite time to go. It's like when it's 26 degrees, the air conditioner's broken, the heater's broken, and it's the day before Christmas. Like those are my favorite days to go. Cause then, yeah, then me and my crazy friends are all the craziest crazies that make it. Way, way back in the day when I was trying to be a big time swimmer, I remember doing workouts on Thanksgiving morning. I felt like that was a, a pretty good personal challenge to actually show up to practice on a Thanksgiving morning. It was great. And, and you don't really have anything else going on in the morning of Thanksgiving. You're just waiting for dinner. So you might as well go <laughs> swim or work out or whatever it is you need to do. I love it. All right. Uh, you want to move on to question number two? Let's do question number two. Will. In a world like this one, what is happening with neobanks? So a neobank being a, a bank that's like a modern take on the evolution of the banking model. What is, what, what is a neobank and what's happening with one? Well, um, well, a neobank is a bank that is designed primarily to be used on a, a smartphone or a mobile device. Uh, they're very transactional. Often they're not full banks, they're just little uh, transaction vehicles and they are kind of backstopped by a larger, more mainstream bank. Uh, so they will not have uh, physical locations uh, yeah. and branches like that. Uh, I think the neobank definitely is uh, a big part of the future of banking. Uh, I think what remains to be seen is will neobanks take over or will mainstream banks just become more like neobanks? Will they push more and more towards apps and online interactions and uh, kind of e-banking transactions and have fewer and fewer physical locations? Yeah. Well, it seems like the traditional bank model, the only difference between that and neobanks is the access mode, right? Traditionally online, so no, no branches, that sort of thing. Right. It seems pretty like that just becomes a natural evolution of the existing banks, especially given most of them appear to just buy off the shelf software and then customize it from any of the two or three folks that kind of build that for, for these type of banking enterprises, whether they're, you know, big regionals, nationals or, or the locals. Uh, yeah. And I've had conversations with, with bankers. I mean, first of all, the overhead of a physical branch has got to be enormous. Yeah. Any physical physical uh, banking branch, uh, but the the challenges of opening a new location for a retail banking operation are really extensive with all the regulatory requirements. Yep. So it's a big investment of time and effort, and you know as our our population gets more and more comfortable doing everything online or doing things through uh, smartphones, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense for for banks to you know, put, go through these huge efforts to open new physical branches to host customers that don't really want to be there anyway. I totally but agree. One yeah. thing that I think is holding this process back that I, I think at some point the dam will break on this is that the idea of a wet signature is still very uh, prevalent in the banking world, really wanting somebody to come in and sign on the dotted line with a, a pen and blue ink uh, just legally is still a big part of banking and opening accounts or or doing loans or those sorts of things and i think that will fade as uh, electronic signatures become more accepted i think uh, electronic signatures are really uh, more provable and more valid than uh, than wet signatures anyway mm -hmm. you know we're traditionally accustomed to them but i think uh, 
electronic signature, you have an IP address, you have a date and time, you have all these things that you can verify about it um, that you don't have about a wet signature, right? Once it's signed and the person walks out of the room, it's just ink on a page. So uh, I do think the, the regulatory agencies will at some point let up on that and then we'll have kind of a huge wave of less physical banking and more online banking. Yeah, well, and we're already seeing it kind of with the the notaries being able to be done digitally and online. Yeah, um, yeah, that's been I've done that a few times. That's pretty huge. How so, does the notary online work or, or digital notary work? Um, so basically, they'll have notaries that you go to web app, and there's that creates a like a Zoom chat with you and the other person. They examine your ID, they look at you, they ask you some questions. They just basically do everything a notary would do. Uh, and then they give you a, basically just a notary equivalent stamp on the digital document. And they say, this is a digital notary um, and it's all done. It all happens. You get an email with the thing done and uh, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, big step. Yeah. I have some data for us. Okay. Uh, with respect to this question. Uh, so I've got the three largest uh, neobanks, Brazil's new bank and U bank valued at 10 billion, Berlin's N26 bank valued at 3.5 billion, and Chime valued at 14.5 billion. And that's kind of interesting, like looking at the market value of these, uh, of these private software companies, uh, rather than looking at assets under management. That says something about how, how kind of nascent and early these things are. That compares to uh, the big, the big uh, traditional banks. J.P. Morgan Chase is is uh, the biggest at 431 billion, right? So, uh, what is that? Uh, Thirty times the size of the neo banks. Bank of America at um, about 300 billion, and Wells Fargo at about 140 billion. So, for perspective, the the traditional banks are still much, much larger than the, the neobanks in terms of uh, the size of their enterprise. Hey, man, you're muted. Okay, sorry. Totally ruined the podcast experience. Um, yeah, I was just looking at what some of the little local banks here have in terms of their assets and like 5 billion is not much. That yeah. is a small, small bank. Yeah. Pretty interesting. I mean, I use, I use E-Trade Bank a lot. Um, and that was a, kind of a neo bank before a neo bank. I do, I do think they had, um, had branches, but like I never, I've never been to an E-Trade branch in my whole life. Yeah. Um, so pretty interesting. Um, I've also have not heard the word chime in forever. So I guess there's a little something, but they have 200 million in revenue. Who knows what that means? Cool. Hmm. You, you ready to move on to question number three? Let's move on to question number three. All right. How do you survive outside your circle of comp uh, competence, Will? So surviving outside your circle of competence, how do you do it? I think you first have to have the courage and the confidence to step outside of your circle of confidence and the mm -hmm. competence and the things you're familiar with and recognize that not everything has to be totally specialized and left to the experts that you can venture into other territory 
What do you think? Uh, you know, it's really interesting. I think um, there's kind of two approaches when people start to venture outside their circle of competence. So number one, I think is the majority reaction where most people just get very scared and like just see it as too risky and don't go out there and look for somebody else to, to drop the risk on. I mean, I think the other thing that happens is people, if they're successful in going outside the circle of competence, go at it with the right mindset. I mean, people a lot of times go out of their circle of confidence with a lot of, a lot of overconfidence and that causes problems. But the ones that go in with kind of a beginner's mindset, like trusting, learning, understanding the limitations of their, their knowledge, like those people seem to do very well comparatively uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of how they deal with it. So to sum up what you're saying, maybe, maybe the idea would be first get up the confidence to, to try it and venture out. And then second, make sure you're being a listener for uh, advice from experts in the field. I think that's a, I think that's a great way of tr- describing what just took me a minute and a half to describe. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, I spent all week trying to figure out how to condense what you were saying into one sentence. <laughs> uh, well, that, that does make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's also fun. That's the thing that, you know, if, if you enjoy learning and you're a curious person, venturing outside your circle of confidence is a really interesting place to be because um, you get to deal with new things uh, and you get to see things that potentially are, are an interesting perspective that you didn't see coming from your, your home base, you know? Um, yeah. what, it has, what has become really interesting to me because I'm somebody with like really varied interests is how venturing out of your circle of confidence, competence has such benefit in terms of going back to your original uh, original thing, right? You can take those things that you learn in something else and bring it back. So like right now I'm reading a book on hospitality. Like it turns out those ideas in hospitality, you would think at first glance, they're really just for restaurants and stuff like that and, and true hospitality businesses. But actually a lot of the things that those guys have learned and principles around that, like those translate universally, right? Or back into you know other industries as well. Right. Let's uh, let's do this uh, to give a little more color commentary on this question. Do you have uh, an example you can elaborate on where you've ventured outside of your surf- circle of competence? Do you want to talk more about the hospitality and why you read that book? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, I I got I got bored and mad during COVID, so I decided to start a start a coffee company with a partner. So we're doing retail coffee stuff. Uh, I'm a software guy day to day. Most people got puppies small business guy. Um, yeah. Well, or they decided to have kids. <laughs> we didn't do either of those things. <laughs> My wife says no, no puppy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's why I'm learning about hospitality. But like, for example, I was talking to an investor, uh, a technology investor the other day. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, I saw on your Twitter that you're doing a coffee shop. Like we invested in a coffee shop. I was having the meeting because it was about technology and a technology investment. And he started telling me a bunch of stuff I needed needed to know, or maybe it wasn't publicly available about the coffee business. I was like, Oh, look at this. Like venturing outside of your circle of competence helps uh, in terms of the bleed over there. And I learned stuff all the time from one, one thing that translates into, Hey, let's do this in another, another space. So. Yeah. I'll, I'll do one too. I've been uh, trying to teach myself landscape architecture. I taught myself a new software in SketchUp uh, it's a free software. Uh, I spent a lot of time 
drawing the grounds in the building of uh, one of my multifamily assets uh, and started designing a, a landscape design for the front yard. Uh, so that's been a good adventure. I think I learned more about how to draw on SketchUp than I actually learned about landscape architect. Uh, and at the end of it, like uh, I decided to go out and work with a professional landscape architect, figuring out that I have kind of a base level of knowledge and thinking about the subject mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that working with them, I'll learn, you know, one of two things, which is, uh, A, I have a useful asset that I can call upon for future projects yeah. in, in this landscape architect, or B, I really should try to do it myself every time. So yep. we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. I should get some, some plans here in about two weeks. That's great. I bet you never had one lesson. Uh, no, very self-taught <laughs> with some comical mistakes along the way. So. That's the way it should be. All right. Let's talk about aging and fitness. You have a question around that. Yeah. How do you, how do you stay fit as you age or how should one stay fit as they age? So I have a strong theory about this and I think you and I violently agree about it, which is the best way after you're an adult and you're mostly sedentary, uh, the best way to stay fitness, stay fit is um, do a wide variety of things and don't go too hard on any particular thing, but spread your effort out uh, amongst different sports, activities, modalities, time domains, all that is essential. If you're trying to be a 45 or a 55 or even a 35 year old person without a bunch of chronic injuries and that sort of thing. So that is, that is the theory. Lots of variety. You can't just do one thing. Yeah, I agree. That's what we need more of in this country. Violent agreement. <laughs> that currently is super genius. I agree. I agree with you too. I think I copied this idea uh, from you. I mean, we've talked about fitness a, a lot of the years and, and yeah, I think the idea of kind of mixing it up and doing different types of sports, different type of exercise really helps prevent repetitive stress injuries and gives you kind of flexibility and ability that you wouldn't otherwise get. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's the critical thing in practice where you're like, okay, like I, I'm going to have seven or eight different types of exercise that I do. And it's okay to go hard in all eight of them um, because you have plenty of time to recover. So you may, you may, for example, do a combination of bodybuilding, say like you're doing CrossFit, you're doing running, cycling, swimming, yoga. Like I just named all the stuff I do, by the way, but no bodybuilding. Um, like, and then you go play sports. So like you play basketball. Lift weights though, quite a bit. Yeah, there's weights in the CrossFit stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not bodybuilding, out. but that's... Uh... Maybe a cousin. Actually, sometimes the CrossFit gym owner throws us a bone and he's like, okay, today we're doing curls, guys. I'm like, yes, going to work on my guns. <laughs> I do think there's a thing post 40 that you should consider that anybody should consider with their, their workouts. And that is, what, what are my goals around this workout really? Because you know, under 30, or I'm not sure exactly where the line is, you can, you can kind of convince yourself that really what you should be trying to do is to build yourself into a better athlete, to give mm -hmm. your shot at making a, the NFL or, or competing in the CrossFit games or going to the Olympics. But kind of post 40, you should really think about whether that's a realistic goal. And so I think that's, that's part of it. I have some data here for us. Tell us more. 
Uh, I found a study on longevity and athletes. Uh, it came up to the conclusion that power athletes, weightlifters and things like that lived 1.6 years longer than the general population. Hmm. Team sport athletes lived four years longer and endurance athletes lived 5.7 years longer. So hmm. if you're trying to pick, uh, endurance athletes is, is kind of a good choice. Uh, I have for the first time started to do an endurance sport, which is long distance road cycling, where, you know, my heart rate might be at 65, 70% for like two hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has, it, I, it has radically changed my level of cardiovascular endurance. It's really, really very interesting. Yeah. Um, so that totally makes sense. I mean, it, it just logically makes sense that your heart has to get bigger, stronger, and flush out a lot of crap that may be building up in there if you're just pumping through stuff at pressure for two hours. So I, I like that theory, and, it, and I think it makes sense if you just think about it logically. How, how has that affected your activity on a CrossFit wad that lasts 10 to 20 minutes? Uh, oh, yeah, like it's a big deal. Cardiovascular, especially if there's something that's like a 20-minute CrossFit workout, like, like I'll accelerate through the thing, like the last 10 minutes out of a 20 minute, like I'll just eat people's lunch. It's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. I did get the gym record in a standard workout the other day and it was all cardiovascular. A new record. Yes. I'm 46 years old and they wrote it on the board and then they erased it. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm number one. I don't know what at. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's a nice positive uh, note. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up the podcast? No, but I am so excited to continue on this podcast for you or with you uh, this, uh, this quarter and uh, this season's going to be great. And I'm so excited that you're making the time for it. And I hope the, and uh, the listeners enjoy it as much as we're enjoying making it. Well, speaking of things we did outside our circle of competence in 2020, uh, any of our early listeners will remember the level of confidence that we started with. So hopefully we're getting better. Oh, did you say circle of confidence or circle of competence? Because <laughs> I think we started with a lot of confidence. Oh, like, we hey. did, yeah. <laughs> they, they, pretty, don't, they don't sound great. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's it's awesome. Like, I think that's another great example of venturing out. Like, I have learned so much about audio, video, and camera and stuff. Uh, that's really translating other stuff. I'm doing a bunch of zoom pitches and stuff, you know, this week and, and presentations and talks to people. And, uh, like I've got a sick setup, like I feel great. There's a lot of confidence, but it's only because I learned all that stuff trying to look good and sound good on a podcast. So it all bleeds over. You just got to get out there and do some stuff. Well, good, good for you. Um, this might disappoint our, our listeners, but I don't think we're going to do a video version of the four for Friday podcast anytime soon. I think we'll stick to the audio. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. Catch you later. Happy New Year. Thank you.